This program is brought to you by Bobbleway Media, under the oversight of the elders of the Chipman Road Congregation in Lee Summit, Missouri. You're listening to Opening the Scriptures with Don Boyd. Welcome to the program today. This is Don Boyd. I want to welcome you to Opening the Scriptures. I had a request that says this, and I quote, Please discuss fully the inordinate way that depression or discouragement works in our lives and how to combat it through the specific passages and generalities in the Bible. In other words, we're going to be looking at depression today and what can we do about depression. A lot of the material that you're going to hear today comes from Wayne Jackson's book, The Bible and Mental Health. In the preface of his book, he wrote this, and I quote, It was a terrible shock to the family. They had noticed that Gladys, a respectable Christian lady, had been withdrawn recently, but no one suspected when she was found dead by her own hand that she was that despondent. You know, people are longing for contentment and peace in this life, and most of us, or most, are looking in the wrong places. People are looking for contentment in drugs, alcohol, materialism, illicit sexual activity, entertainment, and on and on we could go. But true peace and contentment can only be found by consulting the owner's manual that was given by the one who gave us. In other words, we're talking about the Bible. Well, the scripture is the best place or the best source of human psychology on this planet. Now, I want to look at some <clears throat> depression definition, a de- depression definition, and this comes from the Oxford American College Dictionary, and I quote, number one, severe despondency and dejection accompanied by feelings of hopelessness and inadequacy. Medicine, a condition of mental disturbance, typically with lack of energy and difficulty in maintaining concentration or interest in life, unquote. And again, the Bible is our only true guide to happiness. You know, according to WebMD with AOL Health, an estimated 19 million American adults are living with major depression. And it is estimated that at least one half of all those occupying beds in our hospitals are there for no physical reason. They are there because they have emotional problems. And mentally speaking, people fall into three general classes. Normal, neurotic, and psychotic. Normal is defined as average folks with daily problems. Neurotic is defined as the neurotic is a bit bizarre in his behavior and his conduct is not quite normal. The psychotic is defined this way. He has an emotional disorder that is so severe that he often requires custodial care. Now, there are different causes of depression. There are the organic or physical causes of depression. We're looking at things like hormone imbalance, chemical imbalance, genetic defects, uh, degenerative changes because of age, substance abuse, which causes alterations to the brain, Now, these causes of depression require obvious professional medical assistance in one way or another. So, 
there are also emotional causes of depression. These are where the Bible can help. One emotional cause of depression is physical tragedy. Uh, you come faced, uh, you know, what are we looking at here? Physical tragedy. How should a person react when faced with a misfortune in this way? You know, he may have to come face to face with the fact that the situation couldn't, cannot be changed. You have cancer. It's malignant. There's nothing we can do about it. We have to come face to face with that. You know, we could become self-pitying and waste away, or we could be a productive person who is still able to glorify God. You know, not just cancer, but maybe a crippling disease of some kind or a crippling accident of some kind. But we need to strive to turn tragedy into triumph. One of those who did that is Bob Sperlin. He has written a few books that are entitled Don't Ever Give Up and various titles that he has on that as well. He's written just a few books and those books are worth getting. There's Don't Ever Give Up. There is Essentials to Living Life in the 21st Century and there is Tackling Life's Troubles. So all these are written by Bob Sperlin, and all these, he had a disease that crippled him, and yet he turned his tragedy into triumph. Again, what if I have a fatal disease? What if I'm facing death in the eye? Well, anger, frustration, and depression are not going to change that situation. You see, death is the price that humanity must pay for sin that entered the world with Adam and Eve. In Romans chapter 5, verse 12, Romans chapter 5, verse 12, Paul wrote, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. When death, or excuse me, when sin entered into the world, that is when death entered into the world. And for the person that is faithful to God, or for those who have not reached an accountability an accountable age, either physically or mentally, death is the open door to the spiritual realm. In Revelation 14, verse 13, Revelation 14, 13, John wrote this, And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Write, Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth, Yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, and their works do follow them. So death is just the open door into a better realm for those who are faithful. Another emotional cause of depression is deprivation of material substance. Now, what we're looking at here is a loss of a job, a disaster that hits the home like a fire, tornado, hurricane, etc., or maybe some other kind of severe financial blow. Well, how do we deal with things of this nature? Well, Jesus said in Matthew 6:21, Matthew 6:21 He said for where your treasure is there will your heart be also and if our treasure of our heart has been filled with material things it's going to be hard to overcome this kind of loss 
because that's what our life is filled with, material things, stuff. But if we trust in God, we can have the same kind of mind that Paul had in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 7 and 8. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 7 and 8. It says, For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. Be content with the things that we have. You know, we can work to restore that which has been lost, maybe rebuild a house. If we lost a job, get another job. Now, we may have to face the fact, though, that we simply will not be able to live at the standard that we once enjoyed. You know, God, though, has promised to sustain us on a daily basis, not give us everything that we want. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 31 to 33, Matthew 6, 31 to 33, Jesus said, Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. You know, a heavenly home is waiting for the faithful child of God, but God takes care of his own while we're here living on this earth as well, if we do what Jesus told us to do here. Another emotional cause of depression is social trauma. Uh, the heartache that comes from being forsaken by a dear friend, maybe a parent or a child, the split up of dating couples, or whatever. How do we deal with this? Well, the one who will never forsake his faithful child is God. And the psalmist declared in Psalm 118, verse 8, Psalm 118, verse 8, says it is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. Trust in God. And in 2 Timothy 4, 16 and 17, that is 2 Timothy 4, 16 and 17, Paul had this attitude. He said at my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray, God, that it may not be laid to their charge. Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. You see, whenever everyone else seems to forsake us, we can still count on God. God will still be there for us. And then he continues to say there in verse 17, and I want to reread it, Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, that by me the preaching might be fully known, and that all the Gentiles might hear, and I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. You know, in Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20, we'll read that in just a moment, but you can be turning to Genesis 50 verse 20. You know, the providence of God may be at work in our lives. Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers, and yet that was done in order to save his family. And they didn't know that, but God did. In Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, Joseph told this to his brothers. He says, But as for you, you thought it evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. 
Now, they didn't know God was working. Joseph didn't know God was working in his life when his brothers threw him in that pit and sold him. His brothers didn't know God was working in their, their lives whenever they did that either. But God used the evil that the brothers had done to the innocent Joseph to save their family. So in spite of such shocking circumstances that may come into our lives, in time we can live wonderfully happy and fruitful lives for the Lord. We can still do that. Another emotional cause of depression is the death of a loved one. You know, it's heartbreaking. It's a heartbreaking blow to our lives. And yet it is a part of the world in which we live. And Christians can reflect on several things. So how do we deal with the tragedy of the death of a loved one? Well, number one, if the loved one was in a state of innocence, like a child or an individual who is mentally incapable of being uh, reaching that age of accountability, or if the individual was faithful to God, death is only a step into a wonderful eternity. You know, back in Second Samuel chapter 12, verse 23, David had lost a son, the son that he and Bathsheba had gotten through adultery there, died. And in 2 Samuel 12, 23, David made this statement there to those who were serving him and questioning him why he was acting like he was. He said of the child, but now he is dead. Wherefore should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. David understood that this child was safe and that he would be in paradise. And David said, I can't bring him back again. I cannot change what has happened, but I can go to him. I can live a faithful life to God and go to him. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6 through 8, 2 Corinthians 5, 6 through 8, Paul wrote, Therefore we are always confident, knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. So those who are faithful, whenever we pass from this life, we will be leaving this body, we're absent from it, but we'll be present with the Lord. And that is a much better thing, even though it's hard sometimes for us to understand that. But what if the deceased died outside of Christ, was unfaithful? Well, if we get depressed over that, depression won't bring that loved one back. Depression won't change their eternal destination. You see, there's some things we cannot change, and we must not let them ruin our lives. But thirdly, along this line, we can be comforted in knowing that God is aware of our grief. In Psalm 56, verse 8, Psalm 56, verse 8, the psalmist wrote, Thou tellest my wanderings. Put thou my tears into thy bottle. Are they not in thy book? God understands whenever we are going through grief. He is aware of our grief. Fourthly, though, we need to understand that our heartaches will be removed in heaven. In Revelation chapter 21, verse 4, 
Revelation 21.4 says, And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. How is God going to do that? I don't know. But I do know that he will. And we can take strength from God's word to bear up under such a tragedy. Another emotional cause of depression, and I'm going to look at these under kind of a subtitle of enemies of the mind. The first enemy of the mind we want to look at that causes depression is guilt. Now, there are two kinds of guilt. There is subjective guilt, and that is guilt we have that there is no reason for. The other kind of guilt is objective guilt, which is the result of violating God's law. Well, what is subjective guilt? Well, let's say a loved one commits suicide and we suffer a great sense of guilt for things that we did or things that we thought we should should have done or things like that. We may feel a tremendous amount of guilt even though the tragedy was unavoidable. But another might be something like you're driving down the road and all of a sudden a toddler darts out in front of you, wanders into the street, and you have no way to stop before you run over that child. You're going to feel a tremendous amount of guilt there. The tragedy was unavoidable. The guilt there is not warranted on either case that we just looked at. Now, on the other hand, we have objective guilt, and that is breaking God's law. In Acts chapter 2, verse 37, we have a good example of objective guilt. Acts 2, 37 says, Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? They had objective guilt. And Peter doesn't tell them not to feel guilty. He just gives them the cure for the guilt. Acts 2.38 Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Over in Acts 8.22, Peter gave Simon the sorcerer the cure for his guilt. In Acts 8.22, Peter said to Simon, Repent, therefore, of this thy wickedness, and pray God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. So the cure for objective guilt is a right relationship with God. Now, if we fail to get in that right relationship with God, our guilt can rob us of sleep at night and ruin our lives in the day. Guilt is like a ravenous beast that stalks you until you can scarcely tolerate living. You see, but too often people do not deal with their guilt by allowing God to remove it. You see, we're prone to deny guilt. I'll pretend that the sin is not sin. You know, this, it doesn't exist. You know, adultery, drunkenness, abortion, use of tobacco, etc., etc. We just deny that it's sin. We may call sin by another name. Uh, take away the sting of guilt. You know, sexual perversion becomes gay. Abortion becomes a choice. Adultery is called a fling. You see, we may just call it by another name, or we may just try to rationalize guilt. 
In other words, justify the evil act committed. Get even with someone or, you know, well, God made me this way. Well, we know that that's not the truth. We know that that's just a lie. Well, I couldn't live a good life if I allowed this baby to live or whatever the reason may be. That's just another lie. Or, well, that woman's just so much prettier than my wife and she's so much more compassionate. That's just a lie as well. So we need, you know, we try to rationalize that guilt. We may even try to conceal the guilt. If no one knows, everything's will be all right. But God knows, and other people know as well. We may try to legalize guilt, like bloody abortion becomes freedom of choice. We may even sanction our guilt by doing something like donating benevolent deeds to atone to make us feel better. Well, another enemy of the mind that causes depression are the many sorrows of materialism. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, 1 Timothy 6, 9 and 10, the owner's manual here tells us this, but they that will be rich, that would be those who long to be rich, fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. The longing for wealth brings sorrow. Dr. Irene Hickman made this comment, and I quote, The deep-seated fear of not having enough money is responsible for nine out of ten illnesses in our country, unquote. You know, we have an example in Luke 12, verses 16 through 20. Jesus gives this parable, Luke 12, 16 to 20. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. That's the American way, isn't it? Now, verse 19, And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Eat, take thine ease. Eat, drink, and be merry. The American dream. But verse 20, But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? You know, Wayne Jackson in his book made this comment, and I quote, The Greek text actually indicates this night they require your soul, thus suggesting that the man's possessions were the very things that did him in. Another enemy of the mind that uh, causes depression is worry. Worry or stress is a killer. Now, Dr. S.I. McMillan, in his book there, None of These Diseases, has a chapter called Cats and Crocodiles. In that chapter, he discusses the differences between the stress glands of lions and crocodiles. He says the lion is constantly subjected to stress, and as a consequence, his lifespan is relatively brief. But he also says the crocodile's glands that regulate his emotional center are small and inactive. As a result, he lives much longer. 
It also states that autopsies in humans have shown that the adrenal glands in those who were under great stress are larger than those who are not. So in the way of stress and depression, we need to be like a crocodile, not like a lion. But you know, worry just shows a lack of faith in God. In Matthew 6, verses 25 to 30, and I'm going to look at the American Standard Version rendering of these verses, Matthew 6, 25 to 30. It says, Therefore I say unto you, Be not anxious for your life, what ye shall eat, or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body, what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than the food, and the body than the raiment? Behold, the birds of heaven, that they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, and your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not of much more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add one cubit unto the measure of his life? And why are ye anxious concerning raiment? Consider the lilies of the, of the field, how they grow, they toil not, neither do they spin. Yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God doth so clothe the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Another enemy of the mind that causes destruction is divided allegiance. Now, what we mean by that is trying to serve God and enjoy the sinful pleasures of the world at the same time. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, Jesus said, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he'll hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. You just can't do it. Many people are tormented because they cannot make up their mind as to which direction they want to go. Their bodies are in the church building and their hearts are in the world. They're fearful of going to hell, but not really desirous of going to heaven. You know, sometimes this dualism being pulled in two opposite directions at the same time can cause severe psychosis. But a Christian can fortify his or her mind against that divisive torment by simply obeying God. In Colossians 3, verses 2 and 3, Colossians chapter 3, verses 2 and 3, Paul wrote, Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are upon the earth. For ye died, you died to those things that are on the earth, in other words, and your life is hid with Christ in God. Jesus said in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, He said unto them, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. So complete surrender then is the best medicine for the mind. Another enemy of the mind that causes depression is self. We are our toughest enemy. Greek philosophers emphasized know yourself. Uh, the ascetics said contain yourself. Hedonists said enjoy yourself. But Jesus said the only way to have true contentment was to deny yourself. In Luke chapter 9 verse 23, Luke 9 23, And he, Jesus, said unto all, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. You see, when human beings dethrone God in their lives and crown themselves, they ravage their own mental serenity. We all have a tendency for self-pity, but happiness is found only in God. Let's turn over to Psalm 73, verses 2 through 5. Psalm 73, verses 2 through 5. And this is going to be the literal translation of the Bible. It says, As for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps nearly made to slip. 
for I was jealous of the proud. I looked upon the peace of the wicked, for there were no pangs to their death, but their body is fat. They're not in the misery of mortal man, and with men they are not touched. So he's having kind of a pity party here. But you drop down to verses 8 to 14 of the, and this is again the literal translation. They scoff and speak in evil from on high. They speak oppression. They set their mouth in the heavens and their tongues walk through the earth. Because of this, his people shall return here. And waters of a full cup shall be drained by them. And they say, how does God know? And is there any knowledge in the most high? Behold, these are the ungodly who are always at ease. They increase their riches. Surely I have purified my heart in vain, and I have washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I was touched, and my chastening is at the mornings. So he's still continuing in that pity party. He looks at everybody else's life, how much better they are than his. And then Psalm 73, verses 16 and 17, again the literal translation, says this, And I thought to know this, it was a travail in my eyes until I went into the sanctuary of God. Now I understand their end. He woke up, didn't he? Quit having that pity party. He saw reality. Paul has the cure for selfishness. In Acts chapter 20, verse 35, Acts 20, 35, Paul made this statement. I have showed you all things, how that so laboring y'all to support the weak and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. In Romans 12.3, Romans 12.3, Paul writing says, For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, Philippians 2.3, he wrote, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than himself. Humility will help us get over that depression. Another enemy of the mind that causes depression is an unforgiving spirit. You know, harboring wounds, whether those wounds are real or imagined for months or years and never letting them go. This is what is called the bovine syndrome. The bovine syndrome is defined this way. <clears throat> the bovine or cow chews her food and then later regurgitates it and chews it again to aid in her digestion. In humans, a herd is swallowed and then burped up and chewed again and again, and it causes bitterness. When you're unwilling to forgive, you're the loser. Someone once stated this, and I quote, It only requires an ounce of grace and a thimble full of brains to hold a grudge. But to entirely forget an injury is truly beautiful, unquote. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 14 and 15, Matthew 6, 14 and 15, for if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now we have another enemy of the mind that causes depression, and that is perfectionism. In other words, not being happy with anything but perfection with what you do and also others. You know, if we're striving to serve God we're going to strive for perfection, but we know we'll never reach it on this earth. And we need to realize that you're not perfect, you do not have the perfect spouse, and your children are not flawless. We all have our flaws. Paul had his struggles over in 1 Corinthians 9, 27. 
This is the American Standard Version rendering of that. And again, 1 Corinthians 9.27. He says, But I buffet my body and bring it into bondage, lest by any means after that I have preached to others I myself should be rejected. He had to control his body. Another enemy of the mind is pessimism. You know, W.C. Fields made a couple of comments I'm going to quote from here. The first one, start each day with a smile and get over it. The second one, man comes into this world wet, hungry, and crying, and it's all downhill from there. That's pessimism. Well, there are two different kinds of pessimism. There's philosophical pessimism, and that states the world is so plagued with pain and evil that life is really not worth living. Then there's psychological pessimism. It says, our life is of little value and nothing positive is accomplished. But you know, the Bible promises eternity to make life's difficulties bearable. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, Hebrews 12, 2, is written there, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. In Romans 8, 18, Paul wrote this, Romans 8, 18, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. And then in Philippians 4, 4, Philippians 4, 4, Paul wrote, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, rejoice. Don't be pessimistic, rejoice. But then there is another enemy of the mind that can cause depression, and that is anger. Anger can be a killer, both physically and emotionally. Uh, Wayne Jackson gives this example in his book of psychologist John Hunter. Mr. Hunter made this statement, quote, the first scoundrel that gets me angry will kill me, unquote. At a later medical meeting, a critic made charges that greatly angered Mr. Hunter. Mr. Hunter stood up and bitterly lashed out at the man and fell down dead from the contraction of the blood vessels of his heart. Anger killed him. A couple of passages, though, here concerning anger. Ephesians 4.26. Ephesians 4.26 says, Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. So if you're going to get mad, wait till it's close to sundown and that way it won't bother you so long. In Proverbs 16.32, Proverbs 16.32 is written there, He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he that ruleth his spirit than he that taketh a city. In Proverbs 22.24, says, Make no friendship with an angry man, and with a furious man thou shalt not go. And then over in Proverbs twenty five twenty eight. Proverbs twenty five twenty eight. He that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. <clears throat> so anger, get it out of your life. Another enemy of the mind that causes depression is addiction. That is being addicted to a particular substance, a particular thing, or a particular activity. <clears throat> well, Jesus said in John 8:34, <clears throat> excuse me. John 8:34, Jesus answered them, "Verily, verily, I say unto you, whosoever committeth sin is a servant of sin." We're looking at sin here in these things. Every person that keeps on committing sin and does so in an unrestrained fashion, in other words, they're making no attempt to curtail that activity, becomes a slave of that sin, and sin is a hard taskmaster. You know, all of us have habits. Some are good, some are indifferent, some are bad. Good habits 
attending worship services, Bible classes, neutral habits, reading the funny paper before anything else. We may have bad habits, but they're not sinful, like biting the fingernails. But then we also have those evil habits. These are sinful habits that must be stopped. Things like using euphemisms. You hear people all the time saying, oh my God, or God this, or God that, or darn, or, or all of those things are euphemisms and they're nothing but sin. But we get into the habit of saying those things we need to get out. Make a habit of watching our habits. There's also psychological addiction. That is an activity related to learning, practice, memory, experience, such as addiction to stealing, obsessive spending, gambling, sexual lust, etc. And then there are the chemical addictions. Physiochemical changes in the nervous system, such as those caused by the ingestion of drugs. Now, there are mild drugs like aspirin or caffeine. There are stronger drugs like amphetamines, tranquilizers, marijuana, alcohol, and nicotine. And then there are the hard drugs, cocaine, opium, morphine, and meth. And your stronger drugs like marijuana, alcohol, tranquilizers, nicotine, and all that just lead to the hard drugs. And thousands of Christians have broken many different kinds of addictions. Now, there are some biblical principles to help us break an addiction. Number one, confess wrongs and ask for God's help in conquering the addiction. An example is James 5.16. Confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. So don't underestimate your Christian brothers and sisters. We are here for you. A second way to break addiction is prayer. In Luke 22:40, Jesus said, or when he was at the place, he said unto them, pray that ye enter not into temptation. Thirdly, a way to, over, to stay away or overcome addiction is avoid circumstances and persons that may lead you back into these sinful practices. Again, 1 Corinthians 15.33, the American Standard Version, Be not deceived, evil companionships corrupt good morals. Fourthly, associate with spiritual people that can give you strength. Fifthly, Spend much time in studying the scriptures. In Psalm 119, verse 11, Psalm 119, verse 11, it is written, Thy word have I laid up in my heart that I might not sin against thee. You know, Jesus kept Satan at bay with the word of God. He always quoted something from Deuteronomy there in the temptations of the devil in Matthew 4, verses 1 through 11. Addiction can be overcome. So overcoming depression. If you have sin in your life that's bothering you, repent of that sin, confess it to God, and get it out of your life. And think about those good things that Paul mentioned there in Philippians 4, 8. Philippians 4, 8, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. To overcome depression, thirdly, become active spiritually. An idle mind is the devil's workshop. In other words, attend all the Bible sessions you have the opportunity to be at. Study your Bible. Do not seek the companionship, number four, of others that have similar problems. You know, praise God mightily and offer encouragement to others. And realize, fifthly, some folks are just constantly critical of others. These persons may feed off one another and actually end up destroying each other. You will be the victim of this criticism from time to time. 
If you have a weakness toward depression, do not let yourself be used as a target for the critical barbs of those who glory in this kind of activity. And six, seek counsel from the creator of the universe through the study of his word, 2 Timothy 2.15. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. You know, we are like a piece of pottery being molded into God's will, and he's not finished with us yet. Number seven, remember you have more than one character trait. And number eight, face up to your responsibility. You know, the lyrics of a song sum up the philosophy of today's world. It says, I went to my psychiatrist to be psychoanalyzed to find out why I killed the cat and blackened my husband's eyes. He laid me on a downy couch to see what he could find, and here is what he dredged up from my subconscious mind. Uh, when I was one, my mommy hid my dolly in a trunk, and so it follows naturally that I am always drunk. When I was two, I saw my father kiss the maid one day, and that is why I suffer from kleptomania. At three, I had the feeling of ambivalence toward my brothers, and so it follows naturally I poison all my lovers. But I am happy. Now I've learned the lesson this has taught, that everything I do that's wrong is someone else's fault. You in our no-fault society, it's time for humans to cease whimpering and senseless rationalizations and face up to the responsibility of being an offspring of God. You know, people will never have mental peace until religious and moral accountability is accepted. And then, ninthly, increase your self-esteem. God made you in his image, Genesis 1.26. Jesus died to save you from sins, John 3.16. God is no respecter of persons, Acts 10.34. So in other words, you and I are important to God. Depression is rotting away our society and our lives. There are many different causes of depression, some requiring medical treatment, but for most, a spiritual cure is required. If we truly trust God and obey his will, most depression will evaporate from our lives. We need to do what Peter said in Acts 3.19, where he said, Repent ye therefore and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. So we need to eliminate depression from our lives by allowing God to bring us these times of refreshing. So again, this is Don Boyd. I want to thank you for tuning into the program today. And Lord willing, we look forward to being with you next time. When you're in Moody, Missouri, you're invited to visit the Moody Church of Christ, located on Highway E in Moody, Missouri. The congregation there meets on Sunday morning at 10 a.m. for Bible class, 11 a.m. for worship, and then again at 6 p.m. for Sunday evening worship. They also meet at 6 p.m. on Wednesday night for Bible study. We thank you for listening today. We hope you enjoyed this program. You can find out more about Bible Media by visiting our website, BibleWayMedia.org. You can find all of our podcasts on all major podcast platforms. As always, we thank you for listening.